You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 278th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 910th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of February 2nd, 2023. I am your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's... Let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred last Saturday in Assembly Hall when Caleb Banks came off the bench and produced some solid results in a supporting role. With injuries and sickness, Indiana's had to alter its lineups and rotations all season long, and Caleb was just the next man up and was ready when the opportunity presented itself. He displayed a knack for rebounding and scoring at the rim in the game against Ohio State, and while his role will probably be limited for the remainder of the year, his performance on Saturday uh, gives us some added rotation depth this season and a glimpse of what Caleb can do going forward in the years to come. It was nice to see a young man who works hard, puts the time in, wins his weight, shine when his number was called. Uh, it was a true Hoosier performance in a good winning performance last Saturday. Okay, now let me introduce my co-host for this week. Jared won't be here. He's currently flying in the air uh, from Dallas to Indianapolis. Had his flight delayed uh, due to some weather. Uh, Ryan is already in Bloomington, probably out and about, uh, wondering uh, why no one has asked him for an autograph or a picture yet. Um, so if you see him, if you're in Bloomington, uh, make sure you ask him so he feels good. But here with me, the Nick Sir, uh, Sirianni of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the biggest Eagles fan. Congratulations, by the way, uh, on your Eagles making the Super Bowl. Uh, and the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, one of the world's most respected bracketologists. He is Andy Bottoms. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first-class bracketology, if you want the top, you got to go bottoms. If you want the top, you got to go bottoms. If you want the top, you got to go bottoms. Andy, what is your bottom line on uh, IU basketball in the last week? Uh, you know, I, I think you had a mixed bag, a uh, solid game over the weekend against Ohio State, but then you follow that up with a, a disappointing, uh, not the, the loss wasn't disappointing. I feel like we could say that about just, just about every IU loss this year. There have been very few, um, like really, I mean, the Iowa game was close, um, but there's very few of the losses you look back and are like, yeah, they played, they played well. It just wasn't their night. It, it just seems like most of them have been uh, pretty, you know, just not their best, uh, not their best work, if you will. And that was, that was no different than the Maryland game. Um, and the fact that they kind of hung around as long as they could made you think they might steal it uh, eventually, but uh, hopefully just a, a blip on the radar and one that they can bounce back from pretty quickly with Purdue coming to town. That, that game was important no matter what. 
Um, Maryland, a tough place to play. I, I thought Maryland had a really good game plan, executed it well. The slow IU down uh, by that that token press and um, really trying to, to make IU take half the shot clock before they really got into anything. And uh, they isolated matchups that they wanted on the other end of the floor, ran the shot clock down on their own, and um, and were able to do that effectively. So uh, hopefully IU can can bounce back this weekend. Unfortunately. Uh, I will not be able to join you guys uh, for the meetup. I have, uh, you know, luck being what it is. Uh, have Mallory's team has uh, not two, but three games this weekend. They all occur in a little bit over 24 hours, which doesn't leave me a whole lot of time to drive to Bloomington, drive back home and, and be where I need to be. So uh, I'm sure you guys will have a great time and I hate to miss it, but that is why I will not be there. Uh, not to mention the fact that I have picked up a cold from one of the kids uh, as well. So I'll do my best not to uh, not to sneeze and hack all over the place here while I'm uh, on the show tonight. Well, we'll make sure to uh, to have a few in, in, in I, I your regards. I expect nothing less. I right? expect nothing so, less. So uh, we, we're going to miss you. We obviously wish that, that you were with us, but we understand totally. So joining us uh, also is a former high school basketball coach here in the state of Indiana and now the brains and voice behind the IU film room section of our private IU basketball community. It's the other coach, Tony Adranya. That, that is just a great <laughs> intro. <laughs> Coach, what, what's on your mind today uh, after a, a win on Saturday and a loss uh, on Tuesday? Yeah, I, you know, a little bit of kind of what Andy said, um, you know, up and, up and down a bit, but I can't help but just be excited for what's ahead. Um, you know, and, and I think Maryland, you could talk about it till you're blue in the face about a lot of the various things that, um, you know, kind of didn't go IU's way. And, you know, I, I felt like uh, even I think what he said in his press availability today, like you look at those stats and you wonder how IU was even in the game. Um, you know, the way the backcourt played and shot, um, you know, the defense wasn't anything special they, they left some guys open. Uh, you know, I really felt like Maryland was trying to give us that game at certain points. You know, there was a point, I think, with six, seven minutes left. Uh, Jalen had the ball. I used down five drives and it misses a floater that he typically hits. So a, a bit discouraging that that IU had an opportunity to go into this Purdue game on a six-game winning streak. But nonetheless, I tweeted this out as well. The macro picture is that IU's been playing well, and they've got a great opportunity in front of them. And so like I said, my overarching feeling for Indiana right now is just excitement for what's ahead here this weekend for various reasons. You know, you got number one coming to Assembly Hall, but we've also got a uh, meetup coming up and, and get to see you guys again. And that's always exciting as well. Um, wife and I scored tickets, so super jazzed about that uh, being in the hall. So uh, hard for me to be anything but excited right now about uh, what's ahead for Indiana basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to to the weekend. Sorry, Andy, don't want to rub it in, uh, but it is always good to to see everyone on our crew uh, and, and to see uh, all of our loyal supporters and fans uh, who can make it to Bloomington. Uh, we're not doing an official show uh, this year due to some logistics uh, issues, but we are going to be uh, letting everyone know where we're going to be uh, Friday night and Saturday uh, after the game. So so look for that uh, on various social media. 
Um, I think we're starting at Switchyard after the Purdue game is is the thought, uh, just to shake hands and say hello to everyone. But in, coming up uh, uh, here this week, uh, segment one, we're going to talk a little bit about the Big Ten overall, the standings, uh, some bracketology with Andy, uh, and I'll give a few thoughts on that too as we head into February. Uh, segment two, we're going to talk IU-Purdue. Uh, we're going to talk about what to expect, uh, uh, kind of a uh, – Coach and I are going to go over again a, a few strategy thoughts uh, to watch. Did you lose him? Uh, yeah, I was. I was having enough issues that I thought it was me, but uh, then I saw you move, and apparently it wasn't. So, uh, all right. Well, I will attempt to uh, take the reins here for a minute while Coach gets things sorted out. Uh, as he said, we're going to talk. Uh, a bit expand on a conversation that you guys had within the community uh, about, you know, kind of game planning and some things for Purdue. We'll hit that uh, pretty heavy. And then uh, a lot of questions in the mailbag, uh, but all that will be coming up on assembly call radio. So now we can talk about our presenting sponsor, which I do not have the music to play for since I'm not hosting. So everyone can just envision in their mind, the home field apparel song. Uh, but this edition of assembly call radio, just like all shows on the back home network is presented by our friends over at home field apparel where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison and so many more, including uh, the new logos and, and the new designs that they unveiled for IU um, just a, a few weeks ago. Uh, unfortunately, they came out with uh, a Duke collection uh, today. Uh, and uh, I know uh, our friend Jay was um, upset at best that the uh, the new quarter zip was unveiled first with a Duke logo on it and not with an IU logo. So he may or may not be uh, picketing outside of home field headquarters uh, as we speak, but I would imagine that'll be coming for IU as well. So, um, you know, bottom line is that home field has something for fans and grads of pretty much every school with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know, it'll be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. Plus you're supporting an Indiana based company that came up through Kelly and what could be better than that. So you can go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME to get 15% off your entire first order. Again, that's promo code HOME for 15% off. Uh, once again, the website, homefieldapparel.com, wear one for the team. All right, so I want to talk Big Ten uh, in general, do a reset here. Uh, I know there's a couple games going on now. Ohio State had staged a furious comeback, but I believe just lost um, to Wisconsin. Chris Holtman got run in the first half of that game. Uh, with Tim Higgins, who's probably working his, you know, 11th game in 10 days. Um, and then uh, I believe Michigan was beating Northwestern the last I saw. I think that one has gone final as well. So uh, we'll take with a grain of salt some of what is, uh, you know, some of what is what is in here. But uh, you've got Purdue way out in first place. I think at this point would be hard-pressed to, you know, they got three-game advantage on in the loss column on everybody. Uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to – you know, come up with a scenario where somebody's going to catch them. But then, you know, you move down uh, with four losses. You've got Illinois and Rutgers, uh, both tied at seven and four. And from there, it is an absolute log jam uh, with, let's see, how many teams do we have at six and five? You've now got Northwestern, IU, six, I believe. Maryland, Iowa, Michigan State, and now Michigan after their win. Uh, plus you've got Penn State five and six, Wisconsin five and six, and then Ohio State is just in free fall right now. So you can kind of go from there. But uh, yeah, really, uh, really crazy. You know, now I think five way tie 
or maybe six-way tie for fourth place, uh, which is a little bit hard to, uh, you know, kind of make heads or tails of at this point. But, uh, you know, you've got all these teams really within a couple games of one another uh, with, you know, kind of now Ohio State, particularly after losing tonight, Nebraska-Minnesota kind of bringing up the the rear of the league. But um, I think you got ten teams with between four and six losses. So, uh, Coach, it looks like you're back. Um yeah, I did everything the, I did went the ad out. Read without the music, Tony wouldn't sing, okay. but I didn't really ask <laughs> okay. him to either, so I, I can't give him a hard time about it. So we're just getting into the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Everything TV's internet went out for about uh, a minute or so, and it just rebooted and on its own. So there must have been something going on outside our town here. But we're back, and uh, yeah, the Big Ten's quite bunched. I, I, I didn't, I don't know what you said. I don't want to uh, bunch up just, on just um, really kind of recap the the standings, especially in light of tonight, where Michigan beat uh, Northwestern yeah. and then uh, Wisconsin beat Ohio State. So that was really all I had all I had done. So uh, we can go through that kind of however you uh, however you want. Yeah, it's it, well, it's just interesting, you know, you, uh, to go into the bracketology piece of it. Um, you know, there's some teams like that's a huge win for Michigan if they have any shot. I mean, they still got tons of tons of work to do. Uh, but man, the the Big Ten is just brutal. Um, you know, from from you know top to bottom, uh, with where you're going to end up and and who's going to get that protected seed in the in the tournament. Um, I was looking at Indiana's schedule, guys, and I you know where 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 are the sh- there there aren't any surefire wins. Um, you know, with Michigan playing like that against Northwestern, you know, you have two games against Michigan. That was maybe a spot where you would think that uh, Indiana could uh, maybe not play its best, but Indiana's going to have to be sharp. They can't play like they did at Maryland uh, too many times here uh, down the stretch and, and hope to be in the top half of the, of the Big Ten. Yeah, it's funny how that changes. I mean, I, I remember when we came on in the summer or I, whenever it was that the, the schedule came out. I guess that probably wasn't the summer, but um, – but, you know, you looked at it and you said, hey, the first part of the Big Ten season is really maybe where they can make some hay. And then it gets a little bit easier down the or a little, get a little bit tougher down the stretch. You know, in some ways that's, you know, maybe true. Some ways not. You know, I think looking at having to play Michigan twice in the last, you know, few weeks of the season was pretty daunting initially. I think they've got certainly have some talent, but have not not played up to it over the course of the year. Um so yeah, really, really tough read on on what to do. You got Purdue twice, Michigan twice in that stretch. Um, you do have Iowa and Illinois at home. You know, Illinois you beat on the road, so you feel good about that. Iowa competed well with. Uh, most people would say should have won that one at home or on the road. So you know can feel good about those. But then Northwestern, you looked at that as maybe an easier game where you're playing at Northwestern and they gave it to you uh, on your home floor. So a little bit hard to tell. I think at this point, unless you're playing uh, Nebraska and Minnesota. And I guess to a certain extent, Ohio State, which IU is not anymore, I think just about anybody could, you know, win or lose any of those games. Yeah, and and um, and you just want to jump right in as far as where you think Indiana is, uh, bracketology wise. I don't know if yeah, you mentioned I, that earlier when I was out I, or not. No, I did. I did not. Um, I had him as a five uh, when I was doing stuff earlier this week. It probably wouldn't be that now, although I don't think losing on the road and another tournament caliber team is uh, anything to, you know, totally hang your head, you know, hang your head about and really would drop you too far down the list. But, um, you know, I think they'd probably be in that general range now, but there's just, you know, you get to that part of the bracket. There's a lot of teams depending upon what you like uh, and don't like when you're looking at teams resumes, you know, that you can go a lot of different ways there. So 
I think going into the week probably would have been reasonable to have them anywhere between a five and a seven more than likely. Uh, probably still, you know, maybe in the six to eight range right now, but I would say eight would feel fairly harsh to drop them to that point after, uh, you know, losing a road game to a team that hasn't uh, lost a conference game at home and another you know tournament caliber team. So I, I think that's kind of where they are right now. Lots of opportunity, you know, not really any opportunities to totally stub your toe and take on a bad loss, but lots of opportunities for good wins if you want to, uh, take the glass half full approach. Yeah, we we moved them to a six from the five to a six as we scrubbed uh, Tuesday and then we scrubbed again today. So um, we, we think the thing that's that stinks is like, um, well, Wisconsin might move back into a, a quad two uh, win because they were went from 70 to 77. So all those cutoffs and the committee's aware of, of that, uh, to be honest. But when you just look at the raw numbers, uh, Ohio State's going to move down and cost us uh, um, uh, a quad one win at home because they're they're obviously um, if they lost, I, I thought it was a close game when the, when the internet went off. I don't know what the final was there. I think um, it was. I think it was six. Um, they lost by six. So, and but anyway, for, they're I on. I thought I was muted there when I was trying to blow my nose. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's um, all right. Uh, but yeah, uh, they, well, yeah, they lost by six. So the margin kind of helps a yeah. little bit, but still not great. But you got two teams that are counting on quad two and quad one wins for Indiana that right are on those cutoffs. And, and again, the committee understands that uh, in, in the big scope of things. But, um, you know, that's why you got to take care of at home and, and win some games that you have coming up that could really be solid on your resume. Get those good, so- solid resume wins and keep them uh, because otherwise it's going to be uh, kind of tough going on. But uh, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, Coach Adrani and I, uh, and uh, we'll talk some basketball. We'll see if Andy likes it. Uh, So stick with us here on Assembly Call. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, everybody. Uh, we're off to a rousing start here. Andy's blowing his nose. It's not yeah, on really, mute. Uh, really sorry about that. If you ever see me, my, if I'm not talking and I'm not on mute, just mute me yourself because I thought I was doing it, but I must have double hit the uh, the thing and took it on and off right away. So my it's uh, pretty much my internet. As soon as I get talking done talking, I feel like I need to blow my nose. Yeah. So. Amy and I decided to uh, upgrade our internet to uh, a fiber optic uh, high speed and go uh, away from satellite. We've had no issues since December 26 when we made when they came out and buried the cord and did all that. We've I have four or five TVs going on at all times. No issues until we're on assembly call radio and it just froze. Everything stopped for that that moment. But glad yeah, to be you, back. What are you going to do? 
it's kind of like shooting. You know, some nights you're on and some nights you're off. Let's try to rebound within the in the show and find our, our shooting groove. But we're going to talk uh, Purdue here. So um, let me see. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go to you, Coach Adranya, first. Or no, I'm going to go to you, uh, Andy, first and just go through roster, schedule, whatever you normally do um, with with your previews. And then Coach and I will uh, go back and forth. Uh, and then you can pepper us with thoughts and questions uh, from your perspective. That's sure. the game plan. All right, here we go. Sounds good. Hi, this is AJ Moye. What's the only thing better than upsetting Duke in the Sweet 16? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach for the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers! Welcome back to the assembly call. I'm the coach Brian Tonsoni here with Andy Bottoms and Coach Adranya. And it's a big week uh, of Indiana basketball on the court, and it's going to be a big week for assembly call uh, off the court in, in Bloomington. But our main segment uh, tonight is brought to you by our new sponsor. That's True Blood Real Estate. Jim True Blood is a longtime friend of Jared's and the founder and owner of True Blood Real Estate, where he's been helping people in Indiana buy and sell properties since 2006. And starting this season, True Blood Real Estate is the exclusive and official real estate partner of IU Athletics with a team of talented agents to serve you in Bloomington and throughout Indiana. If you're looking to buy or sell a state in Indiana, you need to experience the True Blood Advantage. So go to TrueBloodRE.com to learn more. That's TrueBloodRE.com and tell them the assembly call sent you. All right, gentlemen, it's Purdue week. Uh, they're having a great season. We don't like it, and, and we need to bring an end to it. Um, so, Andy, get, give our listeners uh, a preview uh, of what we're going to see in Assembly Hall on Saturday. Well, I mean, if you look at it from a, you know, to kind of to take, uh, you know, take the bracketology piece back, uh, you know, they've got as good a resume as anybody. I think anybody doing it would have them as the number one overall seed right now. They've had a lot of uh, quality wins, starting with those those neutral court wins against Gonzaga and Duke uh, in the PK 85. So, um, you know, have have obviously played well at, at 22 and one. Uh, have had, I think, five Big Ten games that were decided by uh, – or whether well, they've won by five points or less, also lost to, to Rutgers, uh, and they're only lost by a point. So they have played some close games in Big Ten play, but have come out on top of those. Uh, and they've done it really on both ends of the floor, second-ranked in uh, adjusted offensive efficiency now, do pretty much everything well uh, on that end of things. Re- obviously, rebound uh, on – you know, offensive rebounding is a huge strength and something that – I think you guys mentioned this on the show – felt like Maryland probably had more offensive rebounds than they did, but they certainly had some timely ones that, that uh, they were able to get putbacks and second chance points on. So yeah, that's one area to watch for. And then defensively uh, they, they rank in the top 20 as well. Don't turn you over, um, but they do everything else. Well, I mean, you'd kind of expect that two point defense is really good when you've got a guy like Zach Eady protecting the basket uh, and, and they don't, you know, lowest defensive free throw rate in the, in the country. And uh, they don't give up a lot of offensive rebounds. So they don't make it easy for you on that end either. Uh, so just a really solid team. Uh, obviously, everything you know begins and ends and runs through 
uh, Zach Eady at this point. Got a pair of freshman guards who have played better than I think anyone could have reasonably expected. And uh, a number, you know, a few guys, those are two of their, you know, kind of three best three point shooters as well. Uh, we threw Mason Gillis in there. So a lot of guys that can hurt you. Uh, a team that, that runs really good stuff offensively and I think has been a lot better uh, than, than people would have expected. Uh, really on both ends, given what they lost and uh, and what they had coming back, which is a uh, unfortunately a credit to Matt Painter. And uh, I've officially said too many nice things about Purdue at this point, so we need to transition to uh, to something else. Uh, I almost took your advice and muted you. Uh, you were you were being yeah. that nice, but I'm glad it's you uh, praising Purdue, and and people can get off my my back about Coach Painter, but. Coach Adrania, we did a little uh, get-together with Coach Motes and Coach Marlowe uh, for the community, and we talked about how to guard Zach Eady, and then all of a sudden Mason Gillis goes off for nine threes. Um, so I, <laughs> uh, recap for our, our listeners, I, I guess there's just a, a wide variety uh, of things, but the best thing I thought uh, that, that you mentioned was the ability to mix it up, um, try some different things, sometimes doubles from this guy, sometimes from this, maybe not double. Try to get them thinking and slowing down if possible. Uh, so so go back over that, if you will, your thoughts and strategy of, of trying to guard Zach Eady first, and then we'll have to go talk about the other guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because he's he's been guarded every single way possible, um, you know, throughout – his this season especially probably the last 10 15 games and, and coaches have tried to find that magic potion um you know just as as our discussion was of like what would work and you know what i would do if if i was coach woody um you know would just vary coverages so you, different ways you could guard zach Eady. you know play him straight up one-on-one try to force him uh to go over his right shoulder and use his left hand because he I don't want to say struggles. He doesn't struggle anywhere from the floor, but he's not as efficient going over his right shoulder to his left hand. Um, so you could play him straight up, and then every once in a while you could double from the baseline. Then you could double from the middle. Um, you could flood on airtime, which would mean you know you're going on to double team as soon as the ball's being passed to him. Uh, you could double when he once he dribbles. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can guard a dominant post, and I actually thought the blueprint Maryland ran against TJD was a little bit um, what I was thinking of what Indiana could try to employ against Purdue because Maryland varied their coverages. Sometimes they were coming from the baseline. Sometimes they were uh, letting TJD go one-on-one. Sometimes they were doubling him on the dribble. And it was the most uncomfortable I've seen TJD, um, you know, obviously in the last six, seven games. Um and, you know, he had to think a little bit. And, you know, there were some times where the, the five games previous, he would have just dunked it, but he didn't know if a double was coming. So then he tried to dump it off the race a couple times and turned it over. So I really thought Maryland did a nice job of kind of what I was thinking IU might try to do against Zach Eady and, and just a lot of different coverages. Make him think a little bit because the second he knows, hey, the double's coming on the catch every single time, he's going to be able to pick you apart. He's a good passer out of the double team. The second he knows – Hey, I'm going to be one-on-one every single time. I mean, dude's a dominant force. He's shown he can, he can put up 40 points in a game. Um, so just making him uncomfortable, disrupting flow. And, and, you know, as you and I talked about, Coach, a big part of disrupting that flow is is possibly some token pressure like we saw Maryland do against um, Indiana. You know, Purdue, 
Purdue runs a lot of sets, and a lot of their sets take a lot of time to develop. So the more time you can take off the front end of that, the more disruption they could have within those sets, and then they're scrambling because they're at the end of the shot clock and need to put something up. So I think that's a viable strategy. And then they've got two freshman guards, and and they are very very good players. Uh, you know, Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith are going to be pains in Indiana side for four years, um, but. They're freshman guards. They've not played in an environment like this. You'd hope you could get them rattled a little bit. And not even just like pressuring and trying to turn them over, but just speeding them up, making them pick that dribble up at 25 feet to feed the post rather than 20 and extending those passes. And just things like that. Got to put pressure on the ball. You can't just let it be an easy post feed where Edie can just catch, turn, and and dump it and knock it down. Um, So, you know, I I just spitballed (laughs) for for a few (laughs) minutes there on – uh, basically a brain dump of everything that's going through my mind. But I've watched entirely too much film on Zach Eady. Like, I'm actually game planning for him. It's hilarious. Like, I, I clipped every single one of his offensive possessions on Synergy and watching him and dissect, like, oh, if he goes over – and I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, nobody's like, going to employ this, but it's just the coach in me. I just, like, yeah. here's what I would do. And so I'm excited to see what Indiana does. I thought they they did a nice job last year against Williams and Edie. Uh, defensively. Um, Didn't they, they go they solo last year? I don't the know that they part, doubled yeah. an awful lot, right? Uh, occasional double, but they, they really were going to let them go and, and try to put pressure on the guards, right? Yep, Michael Durr. Uh, <laughs> the Michael yeah. Durr game. Um, so that's that's where I'm at, guys. With um, I thought Michigan State in the game one when Edie hits the game winner at 63-62 or 62-61, Edie had 37 points or 35 points and took a lot of shots, but they only scored 60-some points. That's intriguing to me because last night he got 18 and 20, and then Gillis goes off for 29. When If you double a lot, um, you give those guys who are very capable. Uh, you got Newman coming off the bench who's very capable. Jenkins coming off the bench who's very capable of hitting threes. And once they see one go in, maybe they see a second one and a third one going. Maybe it's a lawyer. You know, we talked on the, on the show about who to double off of. Matthias hit a couple threes uh, the other game. Uh, so it's interesting. Like, do you want to trade, you know, twos for twos? Or do you want to, you know, because if you, if you double, you're going to likely give up threes. Um, and, and if you believe Purdue can't hit threes in that environment, then I think you need to do that. But I really liked, instead of just going one way or the other, totally double all the time or single coverage, but mix it up. I, I, when you mentioned that the other day on the coach's corner, I thought that was good. Andy, when someone says to you, they're just going to let Zach Eady go and let him get his, does that make you feel better or scared? Or, or would you rather take the chance with the, uh, as a, you know, a host, a fan, and a coach yourself, uh, would you want to double and get it out of his hands and try to limit him? I, you know, I mean, I think Michigan State, looking back to games that I've watched them play, and I haven't watched, I haven't watched them all. I mean, I, I, I lean that way just because it was, it was seemed to be the most effective. Now, you, you got to figure out where to draw the line and, and how you can do that. I think the key, if you're going to do that, is you can't. You got to make him catch the ball out a little bit further. I thought that was, you know, Tony yes. talked about Maryland's game plan against CJD being really good. That was another thing they did that allowed their strategy to work. They forced him out far enough where he had to put the ball on the floor and he couldn't just turn right into it. And and even when he would get elbow catches, he, you know, he's got to put the ball on the floor from there. So I think IU has to figure out a way to do that. That's easier said than done because they don't really have anybody who's that big that's going to be able to right. force him an extra step out. 
where if you want to double as soon as he tries to put the ball on the floor, do something like that, you've got to give yourself the the space to do that. And the further you push him out, the shorter the closeout back out to somebody else's. So I think that part's pretty important. But, yeah, it, it's hard not to look at what Michigan State did with him and feel like, is that your best chance to really slow them down as a team? Because you don't win. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if he scored, you know, if they score more points than you and he has 10 or he has 40, it doesn't make any difference. You got to figure out what gives you the best chance and to take away threes. I thought you guys had some good conversation about who you double off of. I know you talked about not really wanting to double off of Gillis just because of where they might put him uh, against the double. That was, that was even prior to uh, him going nuts from three point range. So I'm sure you're uh, vindicated in your belief that that was not the guy to double off of after that as well. Um, so I think it's just a matter of trying, trying to figure that out. And I think a lot of it is really just speeding them up. I mean, getting the tempo played at the pace that IU wants to play it, that, that really hurt in the Maryland game. And I, and I think we had a question about this a little bit where against the press, I felt like once IU had broken it, 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 you know, it might take a while to break it, but there were times that they had a three on two if they really go aggressively. And they only did that a couple of times. Once was toward the end of the game. And it's like, why would you just not attack that? Um, in other scenarios. So I thought they missed chances to attack in those and instead pulled the ball out and started trying to run offense with 16 seconds left on the shot clock, which doesn't, which only plays in their hands. And, and if you look at the tempo numbers on Purdue, that's going to be similar to what they're going to want to do. So how do you get them playing a little bit faster than you want, get IU out in transition, take advantage of, um, you know, some of the athleticism that, that IU has on this roster. And that's really been in a lot of cases where they've been at their best, if they can find ways to push it. So whether that's creating turnovers or, you know, even off of makes trying to get out and run, like they have to find ways to get the tempo played faster than what Purdue wants it. I, I believe tempo, I believe pressure on the guards are a big piece. And then whatever you want to do with, you know, what shoulder or doubling from wherever. Uh, but I do think pressure the guards, make their passes tough, make them speed up is the best. And I do agree the tempo, uh, you got to outscore Purdue kind of. They're going to score because they're pretty good at what they do. But can you – run efficient offense so but we got a good guy too his name's trace jackson davis so you know if there's a purdue podcast going on right now they better be talking about how you're going to stop trace jackson davis because no one's been able to stop trace jackson davis uh so i'm going to throw it back around the round table if we're uh, we we won't give this to purdue but how's purdue going to guard what what should our our listeners look for what, what do you think they're going to do with um trace jackson davis is Edie going to be on them and back off or are they going to put first on them and then double with Edie, given a seven four nine thousand feet wingspan, so it's harder for him to pass out? I think those are the two options for Matt Painter. But he is a hundred percent a doubler. He will not let uh, TJD go one on one. Heck, they were doubling guards, the picket guard, and and then um, the kid from Michigan State. Uh, I'm forgetting his name. The power forward when he tried to isolate Hauser. their guards. Hauser, he sent Edie uh, uh, off of off of the five man. So Tony, what what can they do to slow Trace uh, down? Yeah, you know what I'm interested in from IU is, as you mentioned, what do the matchups look like that Purdue's going to employ? Is it going to be first on TJD or, or Edie? I I hope they put first on TJD, um, and then I hope what they do is they run ball screen actions with race, and then you've got you've got race on short rolls and then dumps the TJD in the dunker spot. Um, you know, which that basically means race sets the ball screen, um, and then kind of flares out, they hit him and then he's got space to go to the basket. Um, you know, I think whoever Edie guard, you 
putting ball screens, whether that be race or trace. Um, you know, he's that's where he struggles. He's they're they're going to employ drop coverage. Um, Indiana is one of the best teams uh, in you know that ten to fifteen foot pull up or floater. You know, you've got Galloway, Hutchfino are both uh, you know average wise good. You know, Hutchfino certainly struggled the other night um, in those those types of shots, but. Um, you know, if I'm Indiana, I'm certainly putting Zach Eady in a lot of ball screen actions. Um, you know, and just thinking about like the offense that IU runs, um, you know, the, the action where uh, they get Trace Jackson Davis kind of a uh, high post or at the top of the key, and then they kind of X off of him and then let him kind of play from there. Um, I think that's great. And, and you know, even if Edie's not guarding him, I think Trace Jackson Davis can take Caleb first off the dribble too um, and has some space to operate. So I like opening the floor up regardless of who guards who um, and then playing off of that and certainly having the ball in Trace Jackson Davis's hands. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch who, what the initial matchup is. Um, but I think this is a game where Hood Shafino's got to hit that pull-up jumper. Uh, Michigan State in that very game that we talked about um, – their guards had a heyday at that pull-up jumper, not taking it in to the shot blocker uh, in Edie, but pulling up ahead of time. I know we've talked all the time about it. it's not a, a great, you know, analytical shot, but you got a guy that when he can hit him, I know he missed him the other night, but when he can hit him, uh, that that's a weapon against that drop drop coverage. A lot of handoffs too. TJD can go into some handoffs if that's in the package because when Edie's not out there to to you know, switch out on a three-point shooter. Love to see some of that action uh, um, as as well. But I, I think it goes back to you, Andy, that the pace of play, too, the way you beat a shot blocker is run down the court and get to the rim or kick out for threes before they get their defense set. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of what – I agree with a lot of what Tony said. I think that's where they had some success against the Purdue Bigs last year. Uh, Xavier Johnson did a really good job of trying to – you know, I think he, he was even able to get underneath Edie a couple times and, and still be able to score. So I think, um, you know, I think lots of lots of things to look at there. I think it was the Wisconsin game where uh, Jalen was really adept at getting to the elbow and made a ton of shots from there. Uh, obviously, that's a place he really likes to get the ball. But I think that was the game where just kind of whatever they needed a basket, he, w- he would get there. And I think you're right that um, that's a place that he's going to need to be effective. I, I think the other thing, and I don't, CIU doing this uh, a great deal, but something that I would think about is do you play a little bit small so that you can't let them try to hide Edie on uh, on a guy like race and, and do you let cop play? I thought that was something that I would have liked to seen against Maryland, quite frankly. Um, Dante Scott was bullying anybody in the post anyway. At least you got to, you know, give him a different look, make him go out and, and try to stick the cop. Um, so I thought that was maybe in a game when nothing was working offensively that maybe you'd throw it against the wall. Now you're also playing, uh, you know, three guards who were uh, generally ineffective in that game. So maybe that makes it a terrible idea. I don't know. Um, but I'd be curious to see if you see some of that, you know, in this game as well. And, um, you know, that really forces Edie to guard TJD also forces TJD to guard Edie. So you can't, you know, you can't have that both ways, but, uh, you know, be interested to see if there's some different variations of things like that that IU uh, wants to try and um, and put guys in, in uncomfortable positions. But uh, yeah, I think no matter who Edie's guarding, you got to find ways to uh, you know make him work on that end of the floor. And and he's not going to be interested in really coming out to challenge uh, some of those mid range jump shots. So 
Uh, I don't think you build a game plan around mid-range jump shots, as you said, Coach. Um, but I think it's something that's got to be, you know, part of your arsenal and, and being able to try to get guys to help off and, and find shooters. Um, but spacing becomes incredibly, incredibly important in this game. I think the key is passing out of the double. Um, Purdue is a heavy double, and they're going to come big on big. Uh, that's where they come and double. They very, you know, they might mix it up a little bit and and leave someone if they if they believe they want Galloway to shoot. But what what Painter has done is bring the other big. So if you have a low post and you dive the other post, can you get that ball? And then they're really good at rotating. They drop, uh, they help the helper, and then they they x out on the backside. So they're really effective on it. The ball's got to pop. If the ball sticks, in my opinion, against Purdue and anything that Coach Woodson runs, if that ball doesn't move, uh, Purdue's going to have their defense set or their rotations or their closeouts and really cause uh, trouble for Indiana. So we've got to analyze. And, and Trace Jackson Davis had some really good games, Coach, um, where he's made quick decisions. I think he's got to make quick decisions. He can't do that crab dribble, and then the double team comes, and it's seven-foot guy and, and first, and then we get tipped balls and, and make it easy for them to go uh, the other direction. you got to be quick with it. you got to find the open man, and then you got to find the next, that one more passing, and then you got to be ready to catch and shoot uh, because, you know, Indian offense is stand on the outside, wait for the ball to come to you, and take advantage of double teams. This is a place where Coach Woodson's offense could work if that ball gets out of there. Uh, but it's easier said than done against the huge size that uh, that Purdue does. But that, to me, is the key because I think we'll knock down shots at home, uh, and I think the crowd will get going. Uh, but we've got to get the ball out of that double and get it passed around, reversed to the open man, and then you got to be ready to knock down shots. You can't be hesitant because when you're playing a number one team, you've got to take advantage of open looks and then play with confidence and, and, and knock them down. So, Andy, come back to you, and then we'll finish with Coach Adrania before we move into uh, the last segment. Uh, what's the game going to look like if IU wins, or, or what are you expecting on, on Saturday or maybe just hoping for uh, on Saturday against Purdue? Yeah, I think if IU wins, you you see them, one, get off to a hot start uh, and really get the crowd in the game. I think, two, you see the game played maybe not at IU's ideal place, but closer to IU's ideal place than, than closer to Purdue's. And I think you'll find, you know, one or two guys who really are able to step up and, and supplement the scoring. Uh, you know, I think you're not beating them without strong games from, from Trace and, and Jalen, but you know, what they had in the, in during that winning streak was generally if those two guys were going, there was at least one other one that stepped up. Wasn't always the same guy. Sometimes it was Geronimo. Sometimes it was Galloway. Sometimes it was cop. Um, I think you need a couple guys to do that really hit shots, hit some timely threes to get the crowd into it. Um, so I think that's what it looks like there. Uh, you know, also find ways to, you know, get, get a few foul calls on Edie and get, you know, find ways to, to, limit his his touches i don't see that happening i think it's one of those things that kind of perpetuates itself in terms of um you know he's a guy who doesn't foul i think officials just don't know how to officiate him uh honestly on either uh on either end i don't think they know how to officiate guys guarding him i don't know that they know how to officiate him uh guarding others and and so you know maybe you get a couple calls uh to go your way there to to really give yourself some momentum but uh i, I think it's a lot more about um pace a little bit of balance and and certainly not having to survive an off night from from Jalen because I think those mid-range shots are going to be super important 
you, you have a couple really good things there about officiating Zach Eady. I think he's so big and his hands are so above everyone else that a lot of fouling happens with your hands. And so, I mean, his hands are so big, but he bodies everyone and the officials are looking at the shot and the hands. Uh, and I think he benefits from being so big that he really doesn't bring his hands down. He's been taught really well to keep his hands up. Uh, he doesn't swing. He's not one of those guys who tries to get off the ground. He just stands and then, you know, get, um, that that's part of the reason, and I, I don't think he moves his feet very well. So guys get to the rim, and then he just reaches out with that long wingspan and, and blocks shots at the rim. You see guards beating him all the time. You see post players beating him all the time, and then they're at the rim. But his stretch just gets a gets the ball. You got to beat him quick, and you got to get to that rim fast. You can't you can't hesitate, and you've got to maybe go under the rim, use the rim for protection. But that's a the the fouls and Edie is something. Uh, to watch for. Um, Tony, what's it look like if IU wins on Saturday? Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun at Switchyard. Although <laughs> 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 that's going to that's going to happen regardless. That's, that's <laughs> a true statement. Bill, we a lot better with the win. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, a, a couple things uh, that I think can lead to an Indiana win. You know, we talked about pace, so I wanted to pull up uh, some Purdue stats. Uh, Purdue doesn't let teams get in transition often, but when they do, they're not good at guarding it. Um, they're actually in the 17th percentile in the country in transition defense. So if Indiana can get out in transition, that's where Purdue's kryptonite's at. Um, you know, again, they're good. They know what they're good at and they know what they're bad at. So they're going to limit, they're going to try to limit that. But if Indiana can push the pace and I, you know, I think that starts a lot with Trace Jackson Davis, obviously finishing with the rebound first. That's something we haven't really talked about, but Indiana has got to finish possessions with rebounding because that Purdue's a very good offensive rebounding team. Um, and then, Trace can push the pace, you know, even if it's one, two dribbles and then get it out to a guard and go. But that does play a difference that Indiana's bigs can push the ball up the floor. So that's a big one that I'm interested in seeing. Um, Purdue does have tend to fall asleep sometimes on the defensive end um, where sometimes, you know, they'll rely on ED or something that's down low or they're looking to see who's doubling. Um, actually, on uh, when teams finish the possession with a cut, Purdue's in the fifth percentile in the country. Um, so – Indiana, if they can move out for those doubles um, and not just stand. The dives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Th there's going to be opportunities there. And then you had mentioned uh, Purdue's doubles um, in the post. They are um, – sorry, I lost the number here. Um, on post-hard doubles, uh, they're 13th percentile in the country. So they do it, um, but they're actually it, – it's not as effective. They're giving up um, some shots there. And so, like you mentioned, if the ball pops, Indiana's going to get some looks. Um, it's just not, you know, getting the ball to the right guy, not letting that ball stick. Woody even mentioned that today. He's, they asked, what was the big difference between the Maryland offense and everybody else in the other five games previous to that? And he said, the ball stuck. We weren't popping. We weren't moving that ball around. So, I think that's a big thing. You know, so those are kind of the three areas I'm looking at um, to attack Purdue. Um, again, that's transition. Obviously, we, you know, Andy and Coachy both talked about pace a lot. Um, transition is going to be big, uh, cutting movement, and then you know, off those post hard doubles on TJD, finding the open man, and then knocking down shots. I think, uh, you know, I've been getting more and more flustered a bit with uh, Miller passing up open looks. Uh, I know his shot takes a while to get off, but there's been sometimes where I feel like he's passing up good shots and taking a worse shot off the dribble. Um, just let that thing fly, man. Uh, and he had some good games. Right? He had at least the game at Purdue, I remember, last year. He kind of kept us in it. Yeah, uh, he was huge in that game. 
Yeah, so very interested to see it. Again, I'm I'm so excited for it. I think it's a great opportunity for Indiana, and you know Assembly Hall is going to be rocking and rolling. Um, and I do think there's a good opportunity here. You know, Purdue's freshmen are, are very, again, good, seem stoic, nothing rattles them. They have not played in an environment like this yet, yeah. and, and that'll be big, or at least I hope it will be. You, you bring up you got to limit – offensive rebounds if indiana is going to win the game they limit produce second chances and what you got to do it's hard especially if tjd is on zach Eady, because there's a way to keep Eady. you just face guard him and block him out and whoever's blocking Eady out is not the rebounder but if that's your best rebounder who gets 20 a game but the one thing that tjd does is that he can elevate and go up at the level where Eady gets stuff he's just going to have to attack the ball they're going to have to attack the ball and guard rebounding something i've hit on all year long is something that you're going to have to crack down if you do double uh, you're going to have to go and knock people around and the, everyone gang rebound that basketball when that ball's missed and you play really great defense you can't give two points because they're just crashing the boards with effort you've got to You've got to hit that very well. So at the end of this segment, real quick, each each person, besides the two main guys, Hood Shafino and Trace Jackson Davis, your pick to click, who we're going to need to to win. Uh, Andy, who's your uh, – Jared asked this in the community, I think, uh, and gave some options. I'm just saying, besides those two, who's the pick to click that helps Indiana beat the number one team? Well, Jared was in here talking about it, that he was texting with Tamar, uh, and I know he's had a good feeling about him heading into the Michigan State game, so – I feel like that's he, he'd be inclined to say. I'm I'm going to go with Galloway. Uh, I think a guy who's who's continued to shoot the ball relatively well. If he can hit a couple big threes, and if he can defend and harass the Purdue guards without fouling, um, then I think uh, I, I think he could have a really big impact on the game. And uh, you know, emotional guy who everybody can get behind. So I'll say Trey. Boy, I'll channel I'll my you, inner my my inner coach Marlowe and uh, throw that out there. Yeah, I, I tell you, we, we're really doing a great job. This ought to be replayed over and over again because we're bringing up great things. We got to guard <laughs> without fouling. There's another thing that that we need to talk about. Like play aggressive, put pressure, but we can't get get them in the bonus with 11 minutes to go in the first half or 11 minutes to go in the game and give them free shots. I mean, let Edie get his 30 or 40, and then shut down the fouls and shut down everything else. Rebounding, uh, defending without fouling. And that pace, I'm going to love TJD getting a rebound, dribbling out. Edie's chugging down the lane. Guard stop, Trace Jackson Davis, find Miller Cop within eight seconds of the shot clock and hit a three, and the crowd goes crazy. We got to do that. Tony, you're picked to click who's not one of the top two. Yeah, to me, it's it's who I just touched on, Miller Cop. Um, to me, Miller, it's, you know, I kind of look back and like, what is his legacy going to be? Um, as of right now, you know, there's no like, time that really like stands out it's like man like Miller won us that game Miller um changed the game or, or whatever the case may be like I feel like this is like could be a legacy game for him you know you, you come out hit six threes or something to beat number one Purdue um in your in your senior year like the kind of last hurrah um you know I just feel like he's gonna have opportunity if they're double and trace um be ready to shoot knock him down he's kind of a fiery player this kind of feels like an environment that would be great for him to, to get going. Um, and so that's, that's kind of me. Like I, not only am I saying Miller cop uh, picked click, I'm saying like Miller cop legacy game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with someone we haven't talked about. It's been getting a little bit of a, uh, uh, you know, tough criticism uh, and, and that's race Thompson. 
And this is a toughness game. Purdue plays with a lot of toughness, and Race Thompson's one of our toughest dudes. And I know he's he's not him, himself right now with his leg. He's he's playing really hard, but I think he can guard first and, and Gillis. I think if he can fly up and rebound uh, and, and, and attack Edie rebound, and he's going to be on Edie at some point and be physical, um, and then clean up some stuff on the offensive rebound on the other end. And, and if he can get 10, 12 points uh, and sneak them in at the rim, or maybe, you know, they're going to probably leave him open a little bit if they double and that ball pops and finds him. He's got to hit a three. But I, I think um, your guys' selection, let's have them all. Uh, you know, let's just everyone have a game. Everyone have a game. Uh, you rank them and we spank them and uh, we, we meet at Switchyard and, and, and have a good evening. But um, – that's our Purdue preview, but coming up in our final segment, we'll answer your questions. We have a jam-packed mailbag, uh, so stick with us. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Um... We might. I did. I stopped recording too when the internet thing went out. Andy, I think does does Ari have the ability to pull that audio off of something? I'll try to text him. I let him would know. imagine so. I'm sure yeah. he could strip yeah, it off of YouTube if nothing else. Of yeah, I think you can so. take it off of YouTube. I think there's a way to do that. Andy, I'm gonna turn it over for you. You have the mailbag pulled up. Probably not. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yes. When so was I'll the last just, time? I'll, I do. When was the last yeah. time number I'll try one to, came into? If there's ones of these that. Michigan in 2012, 2013. Uh, game day was in the morning, I think. We haven't had one since then. Oh, really? Last time number one was there? I, I'm not sure. I thought I saw that on social media that that was the last time. Makes sense. That might be right. What was that, Andy, about? Michigan State at some point. I, oh, I said, I, yeah, I can just try to navigate through because I think we've hit on pieces okay. of some of these. So. Well, That's good. That. I'll bring us. I'll bring us to it, and then I'll turn it over to you. I appreciate that. All right, sounds good. All right, here we here we go. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than hand a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers! Welcome back to Assembly Call Radio. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsona. I'm here with Coach Adrania and Andy Bottoms. We just got done breaking down uh, a little preview of the game uh, Saturday between uh, your Indiana Hoosiers and the Purdue Boilermakers. But now it's time for our mailbag, and all questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and also join. Go to assemblycall.com backslash community. That's assemblycall.com backslash 
community. And Andy, you have the mailbag pulled up uh, from that community. I'm going to turn it over to you to fire away some questions. All right, sounds good. It just uh, disappeared for a second, but now we're back. Uh, all right, so uh, I, I'm going to try to skip over the ones that we already hit on some level. Uh, Jeffrey asked this, uh, if X is able to return shortly, how quickly will Woodson play him, and do we anticipate chemistry issues? Tony, I'll let you take that one first. Yeah, uh, I mean, Coach Woodson touched on it today and basically said, um, you know, he didn't even say that he, he thinks Xavier could be back this season. He wouldn't go as far as saying that, and that was specifically asked. Um, now, some of that could be gamesmanship and coach speak um, for sure. Um, and he did note, he said, if X could, if he asked X, he'd say he could play tomorrow. Um, so in, in terms of timeline, I just don't know. I, I've heard late February, but that's purely speculation. Um, I do anticipate him being inserted back in the lineup quickly, not only because I think he should be, but because of the precedent we kind of saw with race uh, as well. Um, you know, second game race was back. He was back in the lineup. So, um, I don't anticipate chemistry issues. Um, I, I, I anticipate better play, to be honest. I mean, I think the Maryland game was a, a fine example of where we really could have used X, um, you know, in terms of having another guard. Uh, you know, Indiana was very limited at the guard spot, especially ball handling. Uh, it was basically Scoop, Galloway, and Jalen Huchfino, um, and, and none of them really had a good game at all. Um, and that X can kind of be that balancing act and, and he can kind of be that that dog and that guy that you, you know, just gritty and he's going to go after it. And, you know, sometimes he gets too amped up. But, you know, as a coach, that's that's, uh, you know, you always say you'd rather have to turn a guy down than turn him up. Um, and so, you know, to answer the question, no, I don't I don't see chemistry issues um, or anything of that sort. I think um, X would be a welcome sight back for not only the fans, but for Coach Woodson and his staff. Yeah, I agree. X has been real vocal on the bench and with his teammates, and I, I think he's looked to for a source of energy and juice. Uh, the struggle will be basketball. It won't be chemistry. You know, will he be back playing at the level he was at the end of last year? Because he was just fantastic the last seven, eight, nine games last year. He finally learned all those lessons of when to shoot, when not to shoot. He was scoring double figures, seven, eight, nine assists. It's going to take a while for him to get back to that. But the bonus is we get him back, and then you, you get a, a boost off the bench in, in Trey Galloway probably coming off the bench and being able to do his his things. And, and anytime you, you get a guy of that level back, you're going to put him back in the lineup as as quickly as possible. Maybe there's a couple games he's on a limit uh, minutes rotation or limit to the foot to make sure it's healthy. Uh, but as soon as he gets the go-ahead that he's 100% healthy and can't re-injure that foot, he's going to be back in that lineup. Yeah, I kind of asked this one because it, it piggybacks on that a little bit. This one's from Ross. Uh, does the offensive struggles to handle the press and get the ball up the court due to a lack of ball handling ability by the Indiana guards, or is it due to the strategy our coaching staff has employed or a combination of both? Seems that teams are catching on to this defensive strategy and using it more regularly. Um, on us, I, I, this seemed like a good segue because of what Tony said. Um, and I don't know that Maryland was doing it they did it more to slow the game down, I think, than they did to, to force steals. But, um, you know, coach, you see other teams doing that to IU, whether, whether it is to force steals and, and how do you think that changes when Xavier Johnson is back? Or is that something team you think teams would do anyway, just as a, as a means to slow IU down a little bit? Uh, I think it's more personnel and then just, uh, emphasis. You know, I don't think their strategy is, is bad. They don't necessarily turn it over. They've had a couple 10 second calls, 
that that look bad, but I'd almost rather have that than a live ball turnover going down for a pick six dunk, right? Um, but I do think it would be better with X back because speed ha- speed you you break it with speed if you're going to dribble break the press. A lot of people would rather pass to break the press, but. Uh, you know, in college, you get a guy like X just go weave through people as, as fast as you can, but under control, and break it. My my thought is just emphasis. Um, with Galloway and a freshman, you're just worried about getting that ball across and not turning it over. Uh, but they're they're running stuff to get the ball over. It's just when that ball gets to the middle on, on the front court. Then all of a sudden, we just wait till the guards to cross the ten second line, throw it back, and get into whatever action Coach Woodson wants. I would love to maybe see just an adjustment. If there's anything schematic, put someone in that middle that's attack that can attack, um, and, and that that's one way you can get them to not press. But most teams are pressing because if it takes time, it's harder to get the ball into TJD. It's same thing we were talking about with pressing. Um, you know, Purdue. If, if you got 30 seconds to run your stuff. Uh, think how many times uh, TJD's taken 20 seconds himself, just crab dribbling it down and scoring at Illinois. Uh, it He held the ball for seven, eight seconds. Well, you don't have that luxury by shortening the shot clock. So I don't think people are trying to turn us over, but they're trying to slow us down. And my response to that is don't let them slow us down. Speed up. I, I'm a big pace guy. Um, I wasn't when I coached because I didn't have players. But um, – Pace, early offense, make people pay for being extending their defense for the full length of the court. They can't cover everything. Go go fast, shoot early, uh, and then get them out of that press. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think, you know, Tony, I'll, I'll kind of use that to, to go to these next couple questions, and you can feel free to, to, to kind of add your thoughts on that. But uh, a lot of the questions either – I mean, our listeners are that good that they're um, putting questions in a way that they just flow nicely together, but <laughs> – uh, you know, Tom asked, you feel we should have attacked the zone more, seem to get the ball over the 10 second line, then wait to set their defense. And uh, Quang kind of you know, piggybacked on that and said, why not punish them for pressing? Seem to just be satisfied with getting the ball across the 10 second line. So feel free to address those as you kind of touch on the larger point of, of teams pressing us. But I thought those were related enough to go ahead and kind of throw them all at once. Yeah, in terms of the zone offense, I wish Maryland stayed in the zone. Um, Indiana was slicing and dicing that zone to the tune of, I think 1.38 points per possession. Um, and then against Maryland's man-to-man, I believe they were 0. 0.6 points per possession, um, so less than half. Um, so I thought IU did a fine job attacking Maryland's zone. Um, in terms of the press um, and making them pay and, and punishing them for pressing, I I think it's important to note that, um, you know, these aren't – this isn't like the um, VCU, like uh, uh, pressure attack and, and things like that. Like these are token pressures – to literally just slow the game down. And coach touched on that. uh, And Andy, you touched on that as well. Like it's hard to like attack a two, two, one, three quarter court token pressure press and like make them pay for that. You now, again, you can, you can have X and try to get into your, your offense earlier and things like that, but there's not a lot you can, I mean, there's a couple of things you could do to try to, to beat that and get some advantage situations, but that, that press is purely designed to, um, slow you down and so to make them pay for that i don't know that there's a ton indiana could have done like like coach said you get the ball in the middle and you've got some three on two advantages and stuff like that i think they could have done more of that um but you know there's no like you know set a screen here and have a guy go long and you beat it every single time for a three-pointer or anything like that um so yeah so i i uh 
you know, the best way to beat a press is not let them score. <laughs> um, you know, it sounds sure. goofy and cliche, but, um, you know, if you if you can hold them on the defensive end, they're not able to pressure, then you're able to push the ball in transition. And that was, um, you know, my biggest gripe from IU in the first half against Maryland was I felt like Maryland was scoring really easily and able to get in that press. Um, and I think I actually tweeted something like, best way to keep them out of that is not let them score. But, um, yeah, I thought Indiana did fine against the zone. I actually – I thought they did fine against the press. Like, I didn't think the press um, caused a bunch of issues. It was just the fact that once they beat the press and they had to get in a set every single time rather than just playing out of, you know, kind of what the defense gave them. Yeah, and, and their scheme is great. Against the 2-2-1, two, two, you draw two and you have a crack back, and that's what you see when they throw it backwards to the guard and then that guard dribbles up, and if they come and slow that down, then you crack back. That's where Indiana's got that 10-second call. But I think there were – what I'm, I'm in agreement with, Tony, is that there's times I think you can get that ball to the middle or if, it, if they take away that middle, throw it up over down the sideline and then from there go um, and get into your offense early, attack that lane early and see if you can get something. Um, don't just settle for a reset. Uh, that's something that, that, that I'd like is at least probe. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. There isn't a whole lot you can do other than a crack back middle, long diagonal. Every press has those elements to it. Uh, and if they're taken away, you just got to get it across the 10-second line. But I do think you can you can probe a little bit more than what I use doing once they get it into an attacking uh, situation. So that's where I say the emphasis is, you know, attack that. If you got a three on two, take advantage of it, even even if it's even numbers or, or there. But put that pressure on as they're sliding back into the zone usually from a two two one. Um, don't don't let them get that defense set. Uh, but I, I I've thought their zone offense guys has been pretty good this year there was one game where I thought it was is somewhat stagnant and they they run some good ball screens at the top they run a little action on the baseline uh I thought uh, you know maybe the Minnesota game was when it was a little stagnant I can't remember if if they played a zone in that but I remember one game I didn't think it was very good but I do think they get that ball in the middle um and you know at times it's just maybe a missed shot or something else but I'm a lot more pleased with their zone offense than what they do uh, man-to-man uh, from from my per, uh, perspective. Uh, all right, so we talked about tempo a lot, so that makes this a, a good question from Roy. Uh, what's IU's best lineup to force an up-tempo game? Uh, and what's the downside of using a 1-4 offense? TJD is the point forward, initiating from the top of the key or the wing. Purdue with not much inside. Besides their five, if you're a coach, would you experiment with Banks or Gun at the four for added quickness? I know I talked about using Cop there, not really for added quickness, but just for to give another shooter. Um, I guess take the maybe the first part of that is the maybe the most important. Um, coach, I'll throw that to you first. You know, best lineup that IU could put out there to force an up tempo game, but also an up tempo game that gives them the ability to score on the offensive end. I mean, I think you can put a lot of guys in there to just go play fast, but. Um, to be able to to get something that's going to be a, a cohesive unit out there on the floor at the same time. Well, I, I think Tamar's got to be a piece of that. Obviously, you're going to have Galloway and Hood Shafino. The the question becomes who's going to play the four? Can you can you play up tempo with Race or 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 Miller at the four? And, and more than the offense, it's just a defensive question, right? Can you rebound? Can you guard if you go small? Because I think offensively, it, it gives you advantages. But it doesn't do you any good if you score, uh, you know, and then give up points on the other end, uh, matchup wise. But um, I, I would, 
I've been a big proponent of playing a little bit smaller, but that might have to happen when you recruit players, more guys like the banks who can do a variety thing. You want to use your personnel the way you use it, and, and Miller's probably better at the three uh, than the four all over on, on, on both ends. But I, I think if you're going to play up-tempo, you got to have a ball handler, so you got to have the two ball handlers that we have right now. And then you got to put Tamar in because I think Tamar can drive and score and run, you know, a little fadeaway, and he can do a multi, you know, cop will just have to be a spot up guy. Um, I'm not CJ Gunn at the four. I think he's too small to play the four defensively. It's either cop or Banks uh, that would slide into that if if you played that. But I would like to see IU experiment a little bit more with that as the season progresses. Yeah, Tony, thoughts on that? Yeah, honestly, I, I think you could play up tempo with the starting lineup that we'll likely see. I think Race gets down the floor well, Trace gets down the floor well. Both of them can push the ball off of a rebound. Um, so those are those are the things that I look at when you want to play up tempo. Is is how quickly can you outlet or get up the floor, um, and then do guys run the floor well? I think Indiana's bigs in terms of. You know, race obviously not at a hundred percent, so maybe he's not able to run the floor as well right now. But um, you know, typically he's able to, and and TJD certainly runs the floor well. Um, so you know, I, I'm not as much lineup driven in terms of up tempo as Coach mentioned. You know, you need ball handlers, you need guys that can can distribute and make good decisions. Um, but more more so, it's like a mentality of you know, let's let's get it and go. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I. I think uh, last year the word like the buzzword that Jordan Sperber always does for coaches press conferences. Uh, I think like 300 out of 330 coach opening coach press conferences like said we're going to play fast and he clipped them all and it was it was pretty funny. Um, but I do think Indiana lives that and and you know I think they do push the tempo and their bigs push it up and I think last I looked at Ken Palm uh, Indiana in terms of average possession length. Um, I think like 40th in the country or something like that. And in conference play second. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're looking to get shots quick. Yeah. And Purdue's like in the three twenties. I think I, I think yeah. I looked at earlier. So uh, definitely on the opposite end of the spectrum. All right. So last question uh, will be from the great Bob Thompson. Uh, this is another kind of strategy question uh, for Purdue. Is there merit to the strategy of not having TJD guard Edie to preserve his energy for the offense? So, I'll add to that, Tony, before I, I throw it to you for your answer, you know, kind of what do you do um, if you're not, you know, how would that change what you do defensively if you didn't have TJD guarding? So let's assume to start the game out, that means you have race guarding him. Um, I do think you can see Renew on him, although uh, at the rate at which Renew fouls, that may not be a wise choice, but um, I do think it would be a little bit bigger body to, uh, to kind of throw at him and maybe even a different look on the, on the offensive end. But uh you know, kind of how what what are the dominoes that fall there if you decide to not have TJD guard Edie, and are those worth, in your view, going that direction? Yeah, I mean, I think if you do that, you're bringing TJD on the double um, on the catch. If if for some reason you know you've got race guarding Edie, but you know what I think is really important to remember about Purdue is they don't just plant Edie on the block and post him up. You know, they're running a lot of actions down screens, and then if if you've got somebody like race, he's going to be able to pen high, low and, and just essentially just be taller and, and get a dunk. Um, so I, the, I think the re, the only reason I wouldn't put e, TJD on Edie is if he got an early foul 
um, and maybe you want to try something else. Because, I mean, let's be honest, TJD played, what, like eight minutes last year in the home game against Purdue because Edie got him two quick fouls, and then he just never got in the flow of the game. Um, so I think that would really be the the reason I would look to employ something like that. It wouldn't necessarily be to preserve TJD on the offensive end. I think he's in phenomenal shape. I mean, the, the kid could go for 80 minutes, I feel like, um, the way he plays. Um, so it wouldn't really be preservation to me. It would just be if there was foul trouble and you want to keep him from doing that. I, I agree. Fouls are going to dictate the matchup. Um, if you if you see race on him to start, it's probably more fouls than anything else. Maybe getting off to start without getting him uh, a quick foul. Uh, but I, I can see what Tony's saying, too, that they start with TJD on him once he gets that first foul. That's the change that they're going to make. Um, but I, I don't think, uh, you know, you got to play somebody uh, and, and – you know, there's no preserving for the offensive end, but but I do think it's more of a foul situation um, w- with that matchup. So, all right, that'll do it uh, for our. I think that's the last of them, Coach. Yep. So that'll do it for this week's uh, episode of the Assembly Call. Uh, if you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music, and thanks to John Ringer of RigDesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. And until then, take it from me, Juwan Morgan. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Catch me if you can, Coach T. All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, listening and putting up for a, a few uh, interruptions on on my part um, w- with the internet. Uh, so Ari, uh, Ari, you're in here. Text me if you're going to pull the audio off of uh, Streamyard, or you need me to pull the audio and put it in uh, for you. Let me know. Text me so I know what to do after we get off the show. Everyone, safe travels. Uh, who who will be traveling to Bloomington? Uh, and good luck to you, Andy, on uh, all your games and stuff that you uh, you have to take care of uh, this weekend. All right. Appreciate it. All righty. We will see everybody down in Bloomington, and, and uh, there will be a post-game show. It'll probably be 20 to 30 minutes uh, after the end of the game because uh, Jared and Galen are, are going to go to the media. Uh, I think uh, Ryan and I are going to head to Switchyard uh, and start uh, just uh, seeing everyone there at Switchyard right after uh, the media gets done. Uh, Ryan and I both have media passes, so we'll be in to, uh, to hear the interviews and that, and then we'll be at Switchyard, and that's where we're going to start. Uh, Friday night, uh, we have a team dinner, and after the team dinner, we're probably going to hit Nick's in a variety of places we will put out on social media. Feel free to come find us and, and stay with us the, the whole night. Tony Stuckey uh, is really uh, good at doing that and, and is going to buy us a beer or two. So uh, we look forward, and uh, without all of you guys, we wouldn't uh, obviously have a show, but uh, we really do appreciate you guys. So we'll we'll see you on Saturday. Good night, everybody.